Make more birdies. A bottle of bourbon, a little glass, and some ice. This is not a tip. This is a prescription, trust me. Mm. If you don't, you will fall out of balance. Welcome to Birdies and Bourbon. Sit down and have a sip. Welcome back, everybody, to the Birdies and Bourbon show. Cheers, Brad. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, so we've been really excited about having our guest on for uh, for some time. And uh, we'll give him a minute in just a second to uh, kind of talk about um, who he is, why he's here. I'm sure everybody that's listening to this, either you've watched it or you're going to watch it. Uh, spoiler alert, we're going to get into some of the uh, maybe the unspoken truths of Pappy Gate or uh, the Bourbon King that's featured on the Netflix series Heist. But uh, Brad Bowman, uh, former investigative journalist for the State Journal out of Kentucky. Thanks so much for coming on. And if you want to take a few minutes and uh, tell us who you are and why in the world were you on the Netflix series? Yeah, sure. So thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, I was a political reporter in Frankfurt, which is Kentucky's capital, for some of you listeners that not, might not know where Frankfurt is. Um, it's a very small town, even though it's a capital. It's not like Austin or any other capital you may dream of. It's very much a small town. But, you know, we have uh, powerful politicians that, that pass through here, live here. And it just so happened that on the day that... Um, this big press release was going to happen about the Pappy Van Winkle case. Um, our cops and courts reporter had left. I think she was having a baby. They were, uh, you know, obviously growing their family. And uh, somebody said, hey, we need somebody to go cover this. And, you know, I'm not only a native Kentuckian, but I'm a big fan of Pappy Van Winkle. So <laughs> I said, of course, I'll go cover this. And, uh, you know, I went and covered it. And I knew it was a big deal. You know, at that point in time, it had been two years since they had had the press release. Everybody around town kind of knew that it was an inside job. There was plenty of rumors about who had done this or who was involved. And, you know, it was like the way you heard it as an outsider, as I had just coming in to cover the case, you would have thought it was the worst secret in the world because everybody in town knew something about it. And uh, so I went there not knowing what to expect. I had uh, met Pat Melton before. I had met some people in law enforcement before because when you're even at the Capitol, you know, we were like a five person staff. Occasionally you cover cops and courts. Sometimes you interview the guy down the street. Uh, If you're the unfortunate journalist that picks up the phone when the editor says, Hey, we don't have anybody to cover this car wreck, but you, Mm. (laughs) you got to go. Right. So I knew some of that. So I walked in and all of a sudden there's, you know, uh, the wall street journal, the Washington post, New York times, BBC garden and gun magazine, uh, a gazillion bourbon blogs that I didn't even know existed out in the world. Um, and I mean, I was in a room full of at least 20 or 30 reporters and they're, in the room, you know, there's the podium and there's Pat and some of the detectives and there's barrels of bourbon. There's bottles of 20 year Pappy Van Winkle on top of these barrels. There's mason jars filled with what looks like bourbon or iced tea. There's uh, milk jugs. I mean, it was just crazy. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there was uh, some bourbon even in Crown Royal bags. I mean, it was just nuts. <laughs> so, so Brad, we and we we've got a lot to unpack on this thing. And uh, sure. again, pleasure pleasure for you to uh, to take some time to share this with us. So, would I be incorrect in saying that you became the most popular person in Frankfort, Kentucky, uh, <laughs> as you're reporting on this? <laughs> I became very popular, especially with some of the people that I was reporting on. Um, they were not very, you know, I got a couple of death threats. Some of them identified themselves as family members of law enforcement. Um, you know, we were such a small newspaper that all the phone calls went through the front desk. So by the time they made it to my desk, I didn't even have a caller ID. So, you know, I'm sitting there going, man, I need to write all this down while I'm on the phone, but I had no way to verify who it was. And, you know, when you're in a small town, definitely what you do, you can immediately see the impact of what the news has on it, whether it's, you know, the city commission meeting, whether it's local politics, state politics, local issues. So, you know, you keep all that in mind. But once this thing that we all call Pappy Gate happened, uh, my editor said, OK, you know, we're going to find we're just going to. We'll pull from the Associated Press on Rand Paul and Mitch McConnell and whatever else is going on in the state. You're going to do nothing but examine these records. And I literally I still have the binder down here at my feet today. And, uh, you know, it was over 2000 pages of public documents. Mm. So that was my life for two years. Wow. Wow. So so this went on for I, I don't I mean, I you know, as as the story again, you know, if you haven't watched it yet, you're you know, I, I'd say I'd say go watch it. Right. I mean, I, I don't know that I would watch it necessarily for uh, factual information of what happened. I would say I've watched don't it more. like a journalist. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say watch it more so for the um, uh, it, it's kind of a soap opera, right? I mean, it, it's it's yeah. it's a real life soap opera that kind of played out. I mean, it's yeah. softball, it's steroids, it's stealing bourbon and, you know, yeah. in, in, in a very rural part of Kentucky. So, you know, when and uh, and hopefully we're going to have a chance to have the Kurt Singers on as well. So, again, it's not a you know, this is in no way or, or intent here is to smear anything that happened uh, or, or uh, you know, or, or be or negative, just an open conversation about it. But, you know, the, the one thing that I found interesting, they talk a lot about the culture and they talk a lot about, uh, hey, you know, working at a distillery, there's just things that you did, right? I mean, it's like, shit, there's just a lot of liquor around and you you drink it, you take it, you do whatever. Now, what, you know, above and beyond, you know, right and wrong, and we're not here, you know, none of us are attorneys, we're not here to talk about the legalese of things, but, you know, taking something that's not yours, I mean, there's a clear defined, you know, there's a definition for what that is and, and you know, right or wrong, whether you disagree or don't agree, don't agree. But I mean, it, it, to me, it really appears that, uh, that, that Sheriff Melton was looking for a martyr for, for whatever reason. And that martyr became uh, Kurt Singer. And they said, Hey, here's our guy. We're, we're going to put this label on him and he's going to be our, our scapegoat, if you will, because there were lots of other folks. Uh, was it there a whistleblower that kind (laughs) of came about in this thing somehow? Well, yeah, I mean, so one of the things, you know, I don't know where you guys are from, but in small towns, it's not unheard of for the county sheriff and the city police chief to kind of be at odds at each other. One of them is elected 
One is hired by the city council or city commission. And, you know, sometimes they work in conjunction with each other and sometimes they butt heads. And um, there is no doubt that, you know, the Franklin County sheriffs received a tip to their anonymous tip line. And it was a text saying basically, hey, here's this guy. He's been uh, unloading barrels of wild turkey for a long time at his buddy's house. And you can find him, by the way, behind his house. (laughs) And uh, he works at Buffalo Trace. And if any of this rings a bell, you know, uh, you should be paying attention. So the person that uh, everybody called in the documentary, the tipster, um, you know, basically knew obviously knew Kurt Singer, obviously knew his buddy, Sean Searcy, who was the delivery driver for Wild Turkey, and obviously knew that, in my opinion, in my conversations with the anonymous tipster, that he had to contact the sheriff because he wasn't going to talk to contact the city police. Hmm. Interesting. Because obviously Toby had friends on the city police force, but in all honesty, it's a small town. Toby had friends everywhere. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, well, so, you know, you mentioned where we're from. So currently I live in Atlanta and Dan lives in Raleigh, but I'm from a I'm from a very small town in East Tennessee. Um, and, and there's a it's not a similar situation, but uh, it, it, it I'd say the equivalent of the situation that's going on there. There's no bourbon involved, but other things. But to your point, right. And, and you know, oftentimes the city and the county city cops and the county cops you know they're 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 completely separate and again oftentimes there is that kind of conflict there and and uh, hey this is my territory and this is my territory and it's kind of steer clear so uh yeah i mean i I can totally see how that uh, how that would have gone down but i mean there's so much you know if you if you read and and now that that came out and you know I, i don't think that you know, Pappy Gate is going to be foreign to anyone. But since the release of the, uh, you know, of the, of the series, docuseries, you know, now there's blogs everywhere, right, that, that exist. And people are kind of given the, um, you know, what did they leave out? Because you, you really get kind of the, you know, really the fine print of how do we hold somebody accountable? Right. But then but then what's the miss? Right. What everything else that was moving. And I know we had a chance to talk and you you put together you know, the 2000 pages that you have from the from the reporting. So a couple things, if I can, and, and then I'll I'll uh, I'll turn it back over to you. But I don't think anything was ever reported stolen by the distilleries. So I'm kind of scratching my head going, you know, I'm, and I'm thinking about it as a layperson, not in the industry, per se. But, you know, it, if you know when when you mention alcohol liquor i mean the one of the things that pops into my mind is well shit taxes right i mean that that's a yeah. huge implication so like you know how how did they get around and usurp around that piece and then um it, it, i guess if you know once once we kind of think through that what are the impl- what were what would have been the implications should they have reported it or why didn't the distillery say hey somebody's stealing our stuff i mean do they just have that much that they don't care right right yeah so i mean i cannot speak to what the distilleries thought or felt other than what's in the records because for 2 years i tried to get comments out of buffalo trace and um you know, since Frankfurt is a small town, I developed uh, a, a friendship or a rapport with the PR people there. 
And they basically just said, hey, we're never going to comment on this. It's, uh, you know, it was a personnel matter. Uh, there could be legal tanglings in this. And we just don't want the bad press. And, you know, you know, the bad press kind of helped them out a little bit, I'd say. Patty uh, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Van Winkle is a darn fine bourbon. And in in of itself, whether it's 10, 20, 12 year, you know, once you get about, you know, 20, it gets a little, it's got a bite to it. But a little, little oaky could be. Yeah. yeah, a little oaky. But, you know, uh, Wild Turkey did come and, with a chemist and confirm those five barrels that they found behind Toby's house. Uh, you know, obviously there's chemical markers where they can say, yep, that's our recipe. Hmm. And, uh, I believe Buffalo Trace may have done some of that in the beginning, but obviously these weren't barrels that were recovered. They weren't all obscured with their dates off of them and things of that nature. Some of them were just aluminum barrels. You know, I mean, we think about romantically about bourbon barrels. Well, once they've aged for so long, they're they're throwing them in stainless steel uh, barrels. And so... Unlike you and I, when we do our taxes, we have to give them a paycheck stub or some kind of accounting that says, hey, you know what? Hey, uh, Cal made X amount of dollars last year, so this is what his tax taxes owed. Uh, here in Kentucky, it's kind of an honor system. The distillers are not only taxed about what they put in the barrel, they're taxed when it's sold at the store in the bottle. And... What I heard from some of my law enforcement friends, uh, as anonymous sources, I'll just say it that way, that after a while, they quit showing up to identify their products because if that was not marked in inventory, they have to pay that ad valorem tax. And then when they didn't have it on their inventory like they're supposed to, they had to pay a fine on top of that for every barrel. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, I went so far as to contact the state at the time to uh, find out how that worked out. And I was really just amazed that, oh, well, they pretty much do their own accounting unless there's some egregious error. We don't audit them. And, you know, there are immensely poor parts of Kentucky that rely on, you know, the only big industry maybe in their town that is you know giving that town tax dollars are bourbon distillers Mm -hmm. and they are doing you know they're 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 shouldering a lot of uh their tax money goes to local schools so i don't want to slight the bourbon industry but it's kind of like you know i'd hate to be the guy that by my estimation when i look at you know an inventory (laughs) sheet like this of just what they recovered, you know, this is just four sheets of what they recovered. And, and then I had another spreadsheet on what people said they sold. I would hate to be the guy at the distillery that by my calculations was well over $3 million worth of product that went out the door and they didn't know about it. (laughs) And in 2013, I think they finally said, Hey, Buffalo Trace said, hey, we have $300,000 worth of bourbon missing. but And that's what everybody called the Pappy Gate. But it was well over $300,000 worth of bourbon that we're talking about in this heist. And it was yeah. wild turkey bourbon, Eagle Rare, Pappy Van Winkle of various ages. You know, I mean, it, it was a lot of different stuff. I know, shit. I'm, th- I'm like, man, too bad I wasn't living in Kentucky at the time, you know? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's insane. Yeah. So, I mean, if you have a checklist of 
what was it in the documentary? I mean, that's one part of it. And, and there's plenty of other ones. And then there's some things that, you know, as a journalist, you very much have to pay attention to words because, you know, that's, you make sentences. And so semantics matter. And then, you know, in the scope of this documentary, they just, this was one of the more complicated ones that they worked on because the other ones was like, okay, here's two people and they stole a bunch of money and got out of the country. Sure. Here's another one where it's three or four guys and they robbed, but this involves, you know, such a huge cast of colorful characters that they couldn't go into the layers of what went on in this case. And, you know, was Toby Kurtzinger the only person that was stealing bourbon and selling it at Buffalo Trace? Absolutely not. It's just like working in a restaurant. Everybody's going to get that free sandwich from the kitchen eventually. Right, and right. Um, there was a lot of free sandwiches going on between Wild Turkey and Buffalo Trace. But, I mean, there was other people that I named to the people in the documentary. And for whatever reason, the only person that ever went on record after they had immunity was Greg Anglin. But there's a little bit also about that because I, in preparation for this, I was going over some of my things and uh, I'm going through some of the detective notes that I have here. And uh, Greg Anglin and Toby Kurtzinger knew each other. And in fact, there was text messages between them about stolen bourbon and steroids. So I think that that what wasn't that kind of the the linchpin, right? Is is they had all the text messages that Toby had we you know, was corresponding with folks. I mean, that's kind of what really hung him out to dry, right? I mean, we, it wasn't what he did, but it was in the in the manner that he was corresponding that kind of said, "Well, you can't really deny it at this point." Well, here's the crazy thing, you know, uh I don't know about you, but I wouldn't feel comfortable with the cops coming to my house and tearing it apart. Right. <laughs> but absolutely. Yeah. So after this happens, after the press release, the next day I get that 2000 pages of public records. And then there, part of that is Toby's is the detective statements. And then later on came out his cell phone records. But within those detective interviews, there's three phone calls that he made while the cops, while the sheriff detectives were at his house to another police officer about the stolen bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> so imagine you're getting raided by one law enforcement agency and you're letting your other cop buddy know, oh my gosh, they're at, the, they're at my house. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, say, don't, if you're listening, uh, be sure to stick around. We're going to go through the list of uh, everybody that bought bourbon later on, too. So that, just kidding. Well, maybe. I don't know. You have to wait to see. Right, right, right. Uh, uh, so, hold on. So, let's let's go back for a second. So, you, you mentioned um, uh, Anglin, right? Anglin? Yep. Yeah, Greg Anglin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that is, and if I under, if I remember correctly, I think he took a, a plea bargain or and basically got immunity, right? Almost everybody except for Sean Searcy took a plea agreement, and I mean, I think the strategy, the prosecution strategy was, you know, there was an overwhelming amount of evidence, you know, like like you said. So, just to step back a little bit on that. You know, there's the five barrels they find at his house. They have the anonymous tip that says, hey, this is stolen bourbon. Uh, he's calling his cop buddy on the phone while they're at his house. And then 
somewhere in that evening they take his phone and then once they do boom yeah they connect him to this one police officer and then they seize the other police the police officer's cell phone and then that opens it up to more people and then it just went like an onion so i think the prosecution strategy was hey if you're not going to admit to what you did then we're going to get everybody around you and we'll either give them immunity or give them a plea deal and you know or like uh one the one police officer he got a no prosecution agreement but he had to sit down they did a taped interview and he had to spill the beans on everything and that was a whole another can of worms on top of that so that's how that went down yeah i mean was it was this a scenario and and it's I mean, I, I find this totally intriguing that we get to like break this thing out. But is this one of those things where, you know, the, where a conspiracy theorist is, is kind of sitting back and going, well, I know there's more to the story. And is is this literally that there are so many people involved that we're going to take down the whole ship and we can't do that. So let's find the exit strategy. Uh, I mean, I don't I don't think that was ever it. I think it was more of. Okay, who who were the you know who were the conductors in this orchestra, you know? And you had you had Toby doing his part, and then of course you got people like Greg Anglin that later on said, "Oh, I got immunity." Well, let me tell you, I took six. No, wait a minute, I took ten. Okay, I took seventeen cases of Happy Band Winkle, and you know. But like you said, if you watch the documentary, it's not exactly how it totally went down. Yeah. How, how close do you, how close did the, did they get in the documentary? And, and again, I, I think they're telling a very small piece of the story and obviously right. it's, um, it's, uh, it's glamorized for TV. So, right. um, I, I think that there's some, you know, Toby's on there, his wife's on there. So I, I think that, you know, they're giving that, you know, you're hearing first person in, you know, their experience and what happened, but in the, you know, in, in the, uh, uh, everything else that's kind of choreographed throughout that docuseries, did they, is it, is it accurate? Yeah. I mean, it is to some extent, like the broader strokes are they either, all these people that were moving steroids or bourbon either knew each other from softball or from the local gym. And sometimes those two overlapped and some of them were separate. There was, uh, you know, four or five other guys that were involved in the steroid part of it that weren't involved in the bourbon part of it. But then there were some of them that really were, um, you know, there were some anecdotes that Toby gave that were just not factually correct. According to the records, um, you know, he talked a lot about Ronnie Lee Hubbard coming to him and he had stolen all this bourbon and he had to get rid of it. Oh, my God, I got all this Eagle Rare. I got to get rid of it now. What are you doing, man? Don't ever do this again. Well, according to the records, Toby was doing this with Ronnie Lee. Ronnie Lee did not bring it to his house. Uh, there's another mention of a friend of his, Austin Johnson, that Austin Johnson had this newborn baby and he decided to help get Toby to help him move some bourbon. Not only is that not anywhere in the case, uh, you know, in the records, basically, Austin Johnson, Johnson was friends with this guy. His kids played with his kids. And, uh, you know, he said, hey, man, uh, now imagine saying this to, to your co-host here saying, hey, man, um, we're going to go down to work tonight. And we're going to steal a few thousand dollars worth of bourbon. And uh, 
they did pay off the security guard who was a female. She took a deal too. Uh, and they walked in there and I mean, uh, you know, there were just some things that they did that, you know, it was told from Toby's point of view. And like you said, you know, we're not here about what's right or wrong or who said this or who said that. But if you're going to publish in the paper, you have to stand by what you can go off of as public record or as statements. And within the documents that I have here, there was no anybody brought something to Toby's house to sell. He was he was selling it. Mm. Yeah, interesting. And I, I got to just to clarify, I know Dan's uh, stewing over this one. Uh, when he mentioned Austin Johnson, <laughs> that is not Dustin Johnson, the professional golfer's brother. That's a different Austin Johnson, Dan. So, right. so did, just to clear that up. Very much different. He's yeah. caddying for me this summer. <laughs> nice. Uh, so let me see. So uh, what did, I got... Um, what well, sounds to me, Cal, was that the biggest uh, problem here was they didn't. This was before Deflate Gate, and they didn't destroy the cell phone like Tom Brady did. N- noted, noted. Uh, yeah, so I guess that's a good, you know. And, and I mean, just to hear to hear Toby talk about it. And, you know, and we can talk about the sentencing if we want to in a little bit. I mean, it's pretty I, I don't I don't know if it was lied or not lied or what have you. But I mean, to hear him talk about it and you can hear I think you can hear some sincere sincerity in his, uh, you know, just in his demeanor that, hey, you know, yeah, it was wrong and I shouldn't have done it. But it was something that was culturally accepted, if you will, you know, to I, I think it's uh, you know, he definitely magnified probably what was happening in the culture. Um, but in, you know, in, in, in kind of what he's talking about and the way he's framing it up, I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, I did it. And I got caught. I wish I wouldn't have, but it's not like I just, I, there's really nothing that's in there that like, well, I was doing anything wrong. Right. It's just, it's the right. wrong part was I got caught. Right. And that's the only reason why it sucked. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Everything yeah. would have been fine if it hadn't been for those meddling kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. For sure. So, uh, so let's back. Let's go back to uh, Sheriff Melton. And I don't think I think that may have been he. He was relatively new in the role of sheriff when this all was coming about. And I think he ran for reelection. And I don't think he got reelected. No, Pat got slammed in the election. Mm. He really did. And I mean, it was, there was a significant part of Franklin County affiliations with the the Frankfurt City Police Force that had ran against him before and then run against him in the last election that he lost. I mean, I think what, I think what he did was he was putting you know, I think uh, uh, Detective Ron Wyatt put it pretty well that, you know, before they had a sheriff who collected taxes and, you know, that was pretty much what he did. And Pat Melton said, hey, I got to get reelected and we're going to do more than just collect taxes. We're, we're a law enforcement agency, <laughs> you know, and these are legit guys, you know, both on the city force and on the county sheriff's force that these guys, you know, 
there are a lot of guys that I met that really cared about doing their job and about integrity and things of that nature. Some of them became sources for me in the city police force. Some of them have been uh, sources for me in the county sheriff's office at the time when I was a reporter during and after this. And, um, you know, Pat came in and he was very aggressive about drugs. He's very aggressive about, we had a huge opioid problem here. Like, uh, everybody else in the United States does huge meth problem. Um, you add in at the time they had an attorney general's office that had developed a cyber crimes unit that was new in Kentucky. They were the ones that took Kurt Singer's phone, uh, a couple of the police officers, and basically were able to take even the deleted messages because we all know nothing's really deleted. Mm-hmm. If you don't put a screwdriver through it <laughs> or a drill through it, and still they might be able to get it then if they can get it to rotate a little bit, right? <laughs> so, right. so with the cyber crimes unit, they would literally, you know, whether it was WhatsApp or Snapchat, you know, they were also bringing in uh, online predators and getting some of these people to come into Frankfurt. So both the city police force, but also Pat's law enforcement agency was heavily involved in that. So anytime that involved his agency, he was putting it out there on social media. This was something that wasn't happening before. And I think the people that wanted to see somebody else get elected, you know, they had to look at that stuff every day. Or they didn't have to, but a lot of people don't understand. You can just unfollow something on Facebook, not to look at it. Brad, so, that that does that doesn't work, Brad. You you know it's got to stay straight straight to it, man. Straight to right, it. Right, exactly. <laughs> they got a doom scroll on that. So yeah, uh, you know, I mean, I think he there was a lot of resentment because of that. There was a lot of people that loved what he did, but like uh, Ron Wyatt said, you know, they uh, he upset the apple cart, mm-hmm. and a lot of people didn't like that. Yeah, there, yeah, there sure. were even stories of, you know, like the county sheriffs following a, a known felon who was on the run. And like uh, there was a story that I could never get anybody to verify that the city police refu- refused to assist while they were chasing this guy in the car because because their relationship was so there was so much yeah, tension so in the relationship. Yeah. And that's kind of scary. Hmm. That is definitely scary. Um, so you, so you're, you're on record for saying this one. I know I said no curveballs is when they start flying. I've had a couple of drinks and you get, by the way, what, what are you drinking? By the way, I'm drinking some Eagle rare like you are. Oh yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Great. Great pour. Uh, I, did have, uh, I did have some 12 year pappy, but that was gone uh, a couple of Christmases ago. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's, uh, yeah, I have to hide mine because, you know, it's like people come over and the first thing is like, oh, you've got Pappy. Hold on. It's like, well, hold. Yeah, the reason it's there is because we drink it very sparingly, right? So, right, right. <laughs> only special occasions. That, yeah. So that was, well, so while we're there, I, I, these rabbit holes I get sent off on. Um, so when you're, so you're at the, uh, you're at the, at the presser for, you know, and Sheriff Melton's giving his speech and they They've got the barrels and they've got the mason jars. How long did you wait to leave the room before you realized you weren't going to be able to take a bottle with you? Yeah. I mean, everybody, you know, the detective stayed right there in the front. So there was no, Hey, let me get a picture real quick and swipe this under my (laughs) eye. Yeah. There was none of that. Um, You know, that was unfortunate. And then they they just dump it all. They were supposed to destroy it. There was talk of 
doing a charity event around it. And um, nobody knows that I know of what exactly happened to it. I mean, it's kind of like when you go to a restaurant and you send a steak back to the kitchen, they can't send it off to somebody else. They have no chain of custody. So they can't verify that, A, it's bourbon or that it hasn't been tampered with or that uh, Toby kind of alluded to, hey, I got a barrel, Pappy Van Winkle. Well, really what he's selling you is Buffalo Trace. Right. And, right. Uh, you know, they couldn't verify or didn't want to verify what that was. <clears throat> right. Makes sense. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to destroy, we're going to dispose of that wink, wink. Right. Uh, like one, one pour at a time. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, so you are on the record of saying that they only scratched the surface in the docuseries. And so sure. what was the, um, and you, you've shared some, definitely some insightful things. What surprised you the most? I mean, as you're reading through, uh, through the 2000 page report and you're looking at the numbers and you know, you, you've given us some of those nuggets already, but I mean, was there something that you were just kind of like, Holy shit, how did, like, how did, how did this happen? Or how did this not come out? I mean, what, what was like the, is there something that really caught you? I mean, as a reporter, you've seen plenty of things, I'm sure, but, but what right. was the, was there a, was there a, something that just blew you away? Well, I mean, number one, like we touched on before, um, how the hell does $3 million worth of product walk out the door between wild turkey and Buffalo trace and nobody gets fired for it. Yeah. Uh, why was it not reported? I mean, Buffalo trace reported the 300,000, but we now know that it went well beyond that. And it was well beyond Pappy to be fair. Um, but why wasn't anybody coming back saying, Hey, wait a minute. Why do you guys not know that there's over $3 million worth of bourbon missing? Number one, number two, I was, when I looked into that with the state and they're like, Oh, well they do the inventory themselves. And I was like, can I send you a paycheck stub that I write myself? I only made $500 last year. Here you go. Exactly. Um, You know, and I mean, there was a lot of things like, uh, uh, you know, in the beginning, I'm just kind of pulling this up. Like I have this labeled as tips right here. This was literally after I wrote that first article from the press release. And there were some things that I had to look up back over because the assistant Commonwealth prosecuting attorney, which is like the district attorney, if you live somewhere else. Sure. Um, you know, they had 17 witnesses at the time. There was only nine people that were indicted. So I was immediately like, whoa, 17 people? What's going on here? So then you realize the softball and the gym connection. And then you realize, you know, just how this unfolded, unless you were there, it's kind of hard to think about because as a journalist, you absorb so much information and you got to cut it down to, you know, 600 words or less. So, but like, one day it's, hey, we think we got the Pappy Gate thing. Here's these nine guys that are indicted on either selling illegal bourbon and steroids or, you know, whatever. And then a week later, well, as soon as that happened, like literally here in my t- tip sheet, I got an anonymous, you know, you always get anonymous tips and sometimes they're just really squirrely and out there. But I, I, there was already on this one, it was like, Word on the street, there's far more than one veteran police officer that bought steroids from the Kurt Singers. There's going to be a bodybuilder cop of the bunch that's going to get sacrificed. And the rumor is, is that he's being the sacrificial one that's asked to resign. So 
so that they won't look at the department. I mean, it, it just goes on like that. So the D.A.R.E. officer, for your listeners that don't know, a D.A.R.E. officer here in Kentucky, I don't know how it works where you guys are. They're the ones that go to the high schools and elementary schools okay. and tell kids to stay off of drugs. Don't use drugs. Right. And then you find out that this guy not only was the one that Toby was calling while the cops were at his house. Wow. He was arranging to purchase illegal steroids off the internet. <laughs> you know, so Toby talks about going to Mexico and all you have to do is do this. I don't remember seeing him do that in the thing. Right. None of my records point to Mexico. They bought all this stuff from China off of the internet. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and they even had like a, um, uh, the law enforcement equivalent of the U S postmaster that even delivered the steroids to one of the guy's houses and waited for him to open the package and came in and busted. So the crazy thing was, is that you went from, Oh my gosh, this could be the Pappy gate thing. Then off the record, I'm hearing, this is the Pappy gate thing. <laughs> then my, you know, the anonymous sources and my law enforcement officer our, our anonymous sources are saying, there's other police involved in this. And then the next week you find these cell phone records of Toby's and of the dare officer. And you're like, Oh my God, because then the dare officer is talking to another cop on the city police. Like, Oh man, he's saying they got five barrels. Oh man, this was in the paper the next day. Wow. This is going real fast. And then it's like, then the dare officer has to give, and this like is going on like each week. It's something new. While I'm sitting here going through all these records, there's something new. And then all of a sudden there's like um, the city, the, the Frankfurt City Police, like they immediately rallied. They circled the wagons on me because I was like, hey, I'm hearing there's somebody else involved. And they're not saying sheriff deputy. They're saying city police force. And, you know, the chief of police went on vacation. He put this Facebook rant while he was drinking margaritas down in Florida on the department's site, not his Facebook site, but the department's Facebook site about how the media was the enemy. They had it all wrong. And then this Wells guy sits down and he has to give a no prosecution agreement interview with the prosecutors. So if he doesn't say everything truthfully, his basically his right, career right. in law enforcement's over with. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, I used to take the stolen bourbon from Toby and I'd bring it in jugs. And whenever we had the city police picnics, you know, I'd bring it out and be like, hey, man, I got this from Toby. You know, Toby, we play softball together. And they'd be like, oh, man, that's good. And they would be like, and if you guys want the audio, I have it on my Dropbox. I'll send it to you. And they're like, uh, oh, yes, man, this is good. Where can I get some more of that? And it ended up being he named like the chief of police, two of his majors. Um, one of the contentious things he said under a no prosecution agreement, which is what I have to go under. And like I said, I have no bones against law enforcement. Some sure. of them were my sources and they're like, I got a, this guy said, I got a bottle of stolen, stolen Pappy Van Winkle and got the master distiller to autograph it for our major <laughs> so that he could give it away at a law enforcement fundraiser. And this guy says, when I gave it to him, he said, oh, man, that looks nice. I'm going to keep that for myself. And it disappeared. So, you know, like any good journalist, I wrote a story saying records show X, Y and Z happened. And the chief of police was like, absolutely not. I'm not talking to you anymore. 
you have any questions for me, you're going to go through the city attorney. I'm not talking to you. He does the Facebook rant. And I'm like, well, before you, you're going to break up with me, just one quick question. Do you know Toby Kurtzinger? And do you do? is there any truth to him bringing stolen bourbon that you guys are drinking at these picnics? Absolutely not. I only know Toby because it's a small town. And then like six months later, I get texts. I'm going through, you know, just the text records themselves. The text messages are like this. There's uh, 64 messages, text messages between Toby and the chief of police. He that, he, to, that he didn't know that he didn't yeah, know. That he did not know. And he was supposed to go on this bear hunt with Toby in West Virginia. He didn't go, but the uh, dare officer who had to resign went. And I mean, it's just every week it was something new. And it was like, man, you got to be kidding me. And yeah. then like, you see in the movie where Toby's shooting off the little uh, 22 with a silencer on it. Yeah. So I'm sitting there looking through the evidence records and uh, I'm like, so where did he get, where did he get the silencer from? Because in Kentucky, that's a process. Yeah. Yeah. You got to get tax stamps and all the, yeah. You've got to get permissions. They got to yeah. look at you before you can buy it. Yep. And then all of a sudden there's this, um, at the time there's a commissioner of the state police and then underneath him is the deputy commissioner. Well, the deputy commissioner just happened to be at the same gym that Toby works at. And he signed off on his silencers. <laughs> and when they invested, when the detectives went and asked him about it, no, actually they wanted to know why, why is the deputy commissioner of state police and Toby's, Toby Kurtzinger's phone. And then, of course, he says, I don't really know Toby. I just signed off on the silencers. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, you don't know the dude, but you're just you're signing off on the silencers. Yeah. I, I don't know about you, Brad, but I don't there's I can't say that there's a lot of people that I don't really know that text me or that I text. No. I'm saying. Hey, Cal, you know, I'm sure you don't know Toby either, Cal. <laughs> Actually, look at that bottle from uh, hey, 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 hey. That, that's part that's episode two it's episode two okay all right right yeah so i mean they got the broad strokes right but there's little things in there where you're relying on toby's narration of some things and they didn't go that way and, and i don't know about you guys i'm assuming since you're uh bourbon aficionados you guys have probably been to a distillery or two right sure, yeah. yeah sure so I live probably five miles or less from, from Buffalo Trace. Yeah, and there's enough moisture in the air. <laughs> I can smell the mash. Absolutely. Everybody in Frankfurt can smell the mash. Now, Toby's wife said, I had no idea what he was doing. But I'm telling you, if you had five barrels of bourbon behind your house, you would definitely be able to smell it. If I can smell it left over from this glass I have tonight sitting in my kitchen sink, I'm sure I could smell five barrels. Mm. I, you know? I would expect that that is the case. It's, you know, and, and the other part that they, you know, and adamantly and hey, I, I get, you know, you, you protect your own and you do what you have to do. But sure. Yeah. And in the sense of I had no idea, but then all of a sudden, you know, there and and again, rural town. And for those of you that that you know didn't grow up in a in a small country town, uh, softball is. I mean, that's kind of the 
what's uh, what's the song, Dan? Uh, the uh, not the boys of summer, but the the baseball song, right? I mean, uh, Mellencamp. Put me Mellencamp, in, coach. Right? Center field and all that. Yeah. Center field. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, but but softball is like the hey, I don't. It doesn't have to be over for me. I'm I'm going to continue to live my life dreams, right? And there's traveling softball leagues, and I mean, these guys were playing at that level, right? I mean, I'll, you know, I'll call it semi-professional softball if you will and it it, and it's it's you know i mean it's like yeah there are probably people coming over but there's probably you're getting a new crowd or you're traveling more you know you're you're doing different things i mean there had to be a lot of things going on there that were just obvious of and and i get like you know me and my partner i mean i don't tell her everything she doesn't tell me everything we don't need to know everything but there's just certain things and just nuances in a relationship that something changes and you know that something's changed and when that happens likely your partner is going to say hey what's changed and you're going to have to give a pretty damn good answer right yeah yeah i mean they found crushed up female steroids in her jewelry box on her side of the bed um her dad uh going off the public records toby gave her dad a stolen bottle of pappy van winkle and then tried to turn around and sell it to Greg Anglin, according to these investigative documents. Wow. <laughs> hey, not, like, not, I'm sorry, not Greg Anglin. He tried to sell it to somebody else. He was like, no, nah, man, I'll just take these seven bottles I bought from you and I'm good. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, if I could go through real quick, like some of the yeah, things yeah. I got sure. them on here, like, um, let's see real quick. Because literally I'm looking like, I'm looking at police documents. Um, I mean, listen, I, I mean, it's like, is, uh, I, I, I actually find this entertaining, but you were doing it as a job and holy shit, man, that had to be like, good look, pulling teeth back <laughs> going through all that stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was like, uh, for instance, I mean, this not only went to the city police, to the state police, there was even like a retired chief of police, a County over that, I'm really amazed at some of these statements because it's like, yeah, you know, from 2012 until you guys busted Toby, I bought about 20 barrels worth of bourbon. And, you know, I didn't think anything of it. And or people would say, oh, yeah, well, he had on a Buffalo Trace shirt and he said for tax reasons, this, you know, they couldn't sell it. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't never ever was like in a dark alley in my rock and roll days buying a, bur- a barrel of bourbon out of somebody's trunk. You know what I mean? Right. Like, of course, I, I wouldn't have thought it was legal. So, yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, uh, yeah. So in this interview with uh, Austin Johnson, he talks about that. He talked to Greg Anglin, the guy that they talk about who's freaking out, yep. who admitted to stealing the 17 cases. And he literally, according to Austin Johnson, says, I'm worried. I think I should get rid of my phone. I have some text messages from Toby about some bottles that I'm worried about. Now, if you watch the heist documentary, Greg Anglin is telling the detectives he doesn't know Toby Kurtzinger and wasn't involved in that at all. So after they so basically Austin Johnson's taken his deal. Yep. And then Austin Johnson's attorney contacts the detectives and says, hey, Austin told me this. So the next day, they're like, oh, well, we need to go talk to Mr. Anglin. And he literally said that he had a conversation with Toby Kurtzinger. 
and that he had somebody that could buy Pappy Van Winkle, and he was asking Greg Anglin whether there was any security cameras in the lab at Buffalo Trace. <laughs> and he hoped not because he'd already stolen two bottles and he was going to go steal some more. Hey, don't don't check and see if there are security cameras before you steal it. <laughs> oh, hey, by the way, man, I did something really crazy last night. <laughs> so then, you know, Anglin goes on to say that he bought some steroids from Kurt Singer and there would be text messages. So, of course, they took this the, the data. Now, what you don't hear in the highest documentary is that Greg Anglin names a woman who was doing inventory on the on the Pappy Van Winkle that they had in the distillery. And according to those documents, it was basically like, hey, Greg, I'm going to take 15 this week, so you can only take six. Next week, you can take 15, and I'll take six. Like, they had it worked out. She would cook the books. One of the craziest things, like... And they touched on it, I think, very well. I don't know how long you guys have been Pappy Van Winkle fans. But uh, in, in 2011, I can remember working as a reporter in Bardstown, Kentucky, where there's a lot of distilleries, sure. more than there are here. Yep. And you could get a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle, 10-year-old, for less than 45 bucks. Easy. So then you fast forward to 2013. You can't touch it, right? And it's a very scarce thing to find. People are lining up. This is before the theft. And in it, both to Toby and Greg Anglin talk about the fact that they have all this Pappy Van Winkle behind a steel cage. They sort of sew so something like that in the heist, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. So imagine this. That gate has a lock on it, a padlock. And then both Greg, or at least I, I think it was Toby, said, yeah, well, everybody knew all you had to do was pick the door up off of the hinges. <laughs> And just swing it over, and it would stay locked. And you just go in there like it's Christmas time, like you're grocery shopping. And then you just go and put it back. Like I was like, oh my gosh, why isn't why isn't they should have got that in the documentary? That was crazy. You know, I mean, just to to uh, like uh, we kind of talked about before this a couple of days ago before the interview. Um, there were so many different. Uh, Wild Turkey, Buffalo Trace. Uh, there's a story Anson Johnson talks about Toby having so much booze in the back of his truck that his, the body of his car uh, or of his truck was literally almost dragging the gravel road. Because those things are pretty heavy, right? Yeah, sure. And one of those metal barrels they stole was, uh, I think, what they identified as a 17, the 17 year Eagle Rare. Yep. And that whole uh, thing was worth like twenty three grand. Mm. It was like five hundred dollars a gallon. Um, another great thing, like you remember in the um, heist, uh, everybody's a colorful character. Like I wish I'd known Turby. I'm glad I don't. I didn't know Turby Coach Singer before this because I probably would have liked him too much. <laughs> well, well, you you would you would have been you would have been featured in the documentary differently. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, I would have been the one driving to his house like, hey, man, <laughs> you, you would definitely been in the text uh, text text. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of colorful characters. And one of them is, uh, do you remember Dusty Adkins, his best buddy? Who's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, 
that, that's the, the one thing I would say, you know, I mean, there were definitely a lot of losers uh, that came and I don't I'm not calling them losers like in, in I'm just saying there were a lot of lost things happening. And, and I think the biggest thing that was lost there, uh, I mean, it, it had to be just horrible on relationships. And I mean, growing up in a in a small town, you know, with and, you know, everybody knows everybody. Right. I mean, you probably can name off 90 percent of the people that you graduated high school with kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, and, and longtime friendships. And there had to be so many that were just absolutely devastated. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, I kind of wonder that because I, you know, that was the one they went on. You know, they kind of asked me, well, what are some of the things, loose threads that you think are in this? And I'm just like, man, you know, it's got to be terrible. All of his friends ratted on him. And <laughs> right. the only person that didn't rat on him that I knew because he was getting sentenced, right? Like I went to his sentencing. If you go to my website, I was there for his sentencing, but I was technically not even a journalist at that point. Where do we find that website at, by the way? <laughs> it's called newspoliticsbourbon.com. Thank you. Perfect. I literally just, I started writing everything that I did and I kept a list because it was like, I have to put this in a space somewhere aside from a notebook I'm scribbling in or a story I have to write. But I'm just like, Sean Searcy was the only one that refused to take a deal until the very end. He was the only one that didn't rat on him. I mean, even his his wife took a, a an Alfred plea, basically saying there's enough evidence to convict me, but I'm not going to admit to any truth. And I think she was under an agreement that she, uh, no, that wouldn't have been right because anyway, so. Yeah, that, that was a little, that, that one's a little weird though, because I don't think, I think as being a spouse, I don't think legally you have to testify against your spouse. No, they couldn't have compelled her to do so. Yeah. Right, yeah. But right. one of his friends, this guy was a piece of work, Dusty Adkins, who thought yeah, he yeah. could be like Lou and Luke and Bo Duke and run across the county line and they weren't going to get him <laughs> when they could get him anytime they wanted to. Right. Uh, you know, a lot of people, this was another crazy thing that happened. All of a sudden there was, um, let me see if I can pull this up here. Can you see it? You see that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He, he literally wrote checks to Toby for some of the barrels that he was selling. <laughs> so he created a paper trail and now, hold, hold on, hold on, Brad, if I can, before you, because a lot of people that are going to be listening or that are listening, they're going to have no idea what a check is. So a check, <laughs> a check is a, uh, a check is a piece of paper and it it's uh, think about your, your, like your debit card or your, your plastic card in your pocket. But instead of having a plastic card, it's a little piece of paper that is a monetary, uh, a monetary document that you would actually write on there. And it's got your bank account account, your routing number, and you would write the amount and who it's going to, and you would sign it. And then that said person could take that and put it in their bank or take it to their bank. And in turn, they would get money back for that. Sorry for the, uh, sorry for the, that, that pause there. No, you're absolutely right. Because the other day I was somewhere with uh, one of my relatives and they're like, Hey man, you got a couple bucks I can borrow. And I'm like, cash, who carries cash? <laughs> exactly. Carry cash. It's like, no, but I got you a check. <laughs> right. But if you looked up at this, you would see right here, you know, on the check, there's a spot where it's like, what is this money for? Yeah. So this one is written out for $1,200 and it's for softball hitting lessons. <laughs> <laughs> and, and 
here's another one for a thousand. And there were several of these that they got. And this is like, you know, I'm working on another big story. And all of a sudden they're like, hey, one of my sources is like, hey, man, I just heard there's more evidence. You're going to have to go down. You're not going to believe this shit. They were writing checks to each other. And I'm like, no, no. But at, the, but at this time, you're like, you're dropping whatever you're doing and you're immediately attached to whatever, whatever your tipster you got, right? Yeah, because I mean, in the news business, you're competing with everybody else. Sure. So I got to get there before the TV crews, before right. they get their sound bites and they leave. And the funny thing is that Dusty was a volunteer softball coach for Georgetown College here in Kentucky. And I literally called up the guy at the time that was heading the program. I'm like, yeah, did Dusty Adkins ever was your volunteer? Did he ever coach softball? Yeah, but he was just volunteer. Why? And I was like, well, you know, and then I told him, he's like, yeah, I have no further comment. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> at the phone. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there's another piece of it where it's just like, you got to be kidding me, right? But that was one. I think that that he and Toby, I guess Toby thought they were really good friends and that he, he kind of hosted that that Dusty did. And to your point, I think Sean kind of held true to, you know, as long as he could or or, or stayed true as long as he could. But I, I think Dusty kind of let uh, just fold it up on him. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you add just some of those come you know, those comedic elements into it where it's just like, you gotta be kidding me. They were writing checks. Like, dude, like, I I don't, I don't get it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, literally it's something that should be made into a movie. It's that damn good. I mean, it's stuff that you, I mean, you can't make up the things. And and again, you've, you've got a lot more details in in, in what you'll see on the, the docu series, but it's, you can't make this stuff up. And it's, it's almost it, it is laughable. And I, I mean that in a, uh, in the best way possible, not laughing at, you know, what they've had to endure and go through, but right. it's laughable to your point of like, Holy shit, man, you're writing the guy checks for stolen stuff and creating this. It's like what in, Talk about in, stones, right? Like seriously. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's like in, in what, and I guess that's why, you know, when I said earlier, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to hear, you know, Toby in his in his approach when he's like talking about it, it clearly looks like he's come to grips with everything and it doesn't look like that it's carrying a burden on them anymore. I don't know how it couldn't. I I would have a, a really challenging time with how do I get past this thing? Right. Um, sure. But it, but it's almost kind of is celebritized a word. Do you, yeah, I mean, they're going on a lot of podcasts and they're doing a lot of interviews and yeah. uh but you know what? I mean, I want to know his story, right? I want to know what happened. I mean, I only know one side of it. This guy was going through a hellacious legal battle when I was covering this case. So, of course, he wasn't going to talk to me. You sure. know, and then talking about what he endured, you know, I feel bad for his kids. Yeah. It had to have been tragic to all of a sudden you have these strangers in your house that are uh, taking your dad away from something. But, you know, too, it's like uh, a lot of people, there's this conspiracy theory going around that, oh, well, Toby got off easy because he was selling to attorneys and doctors and judges. And let me tell you, as a journalist, the first thing I did, one of the, any journalist worth their salt never gives up, never gives up. You never erase any contacts in your phone. I still have every judge that I've ever had any contact with, whether it was in Bardstown or in Frankfort, Kentucky. Sure. The county attorney, 
uh, attorneys that I've covered cases on, I started referencing all those text messages to see, hey, is there somebody's number in here to see who else it is? But it's like, I think Toby suffered enough that his kids were hurt, that he was estranged from his wife. He lost a job. A lot of people don't realize it. Like, I don't know what he made. But after him being there for as long as he was at Buffalo Trace, he was probably clearing probably at least 80 grand because right. he'd been there that long. And he yeah. obviously wasn't doing this for money. I don't know what he was doing it for because, you know, when you're looking at over 300 barrels of stolen bourbon, it's more than just like, hey, let me hook a buddy up with a couple of bottles of Patty. <laughs> but, but even at the time, I mean, it wasn't, I mean, when they were doing this, it wasn't the, um, we weren't in the bourbon boom that we're in today. You, you weren't, you weren't, I mean, you, and you mentioned it earlier, Brad. I mean, we weren't in the, you know, you're going to have to pay a thousand dollars for a bottle of lot B or, you know, 1500 or 2000 for, you know, a 15 year. And, you know, it's like you were literally walking in and you were paying, um, uh, uh, MRP, right. And, and you know, it's a manufacturer's price. And, it's so, and, and he's even stated, now I don't know if this to be true, but, but if you take it at face value, he said he was selling it for less than retail price. Sure. So, sure uh, and, but again, I, it, yeah, I mean, but it's, well, you may have uh, some more details on that, but, but the thing, I don't know to, to your point, it's like, I don't know. And it's like, I don't know. Do I want to buy? And I mean, I've got moonshine sitting back here that I got from the guy that made it in a, you know, in Tennessee, like for, and it is, you know, back, back in the woods. Well, oh, so it wasn't taxed cows. I would you say allegedly, allegedly, this is a reputable business, but uh, I, I have no idea. Right. Uh, right. No, but I mean, the point is like, I don't know that I want to get liquor from some dude in his backyard, pouring it out of a damn, uh, out of a barrel that I don't know. Is it clean? Did he wash his hands? Did he just piss? And uh, who knows? Right. Right. So and, and again, with iced tea. Uh, right, exactly. I mean, and, but today, if I, if somebody said, Hey, I got this Pappy over here, you want it? I mean, and it's only going to be a hundred bucks. Well, I would question it. Right. I'm like, well, there's no way you're selling it for that. So there's something wrong with it. But back then you're not really thinking about that. So I don't, that's, it's a very interesting point. The top that, you know, point that you bring up is like, what was the real, the motive for doing that? Because it wasn't a scenario where, Oh shit, I can't get it. I mean, I think these guys really kind of, I don't know if I can, I'll say it and and, uh, we'll get some hate mail on it, but I mean, did they create or did they uh, foster this? What is the secondary market today? Yeah, I mean, no, well, no doubt about it. Like you were talking about, um, there's records where he was selling bottles of Pappy Van Winkle or offering to sell them for $1,500. So he was selling them at that aftermarket price Hmm. with some of them, but then he would turn around and sell an entire barrel for (laughs) $1,300. And and one barrel he could have sold for 23,000, but obviously he either didn't know or didn't care what he had. But yeah, I mean, being a kid of the 70s and 80s, you know, uh, there was no such thing as a single barrel bourbon. There was no no such thing as, you know, 10 year aged bourbon at the time. And bourbon was something that everybody's dad had at the bar or in the man cave down in the basement. 
and everybody could, you know, give two pennies less about bourbon. No, there was nothing, nothing sexy about it. Right. I mean, bourbon was almost like the, it was like the, Oh, you're drinking bourbon. It's like, like, Oh, oh, you're the drunk. Right. I mean, yeah. Like I remember I was a, before I was a journalist, I was a chef for 17 years. And I remember, you know, I mean, they still talk about it now, but it's like Louis the 13th. It's like uh, what? $75 a shot. Yeah. That was the thing in the nineties. And I was like, you gotta be out of your mind. (laughs) And now it's like a bottle, a shot of happy Van Winkle's like 120 bucks in some places. Right. And, uh, you know, they did a great job of marketing it to people like Anthony Bourdain, you know, other tastemakers, influential sure. people. And it is good bourbon. It's great bourbon. But, uh, you know, I mean, I would throw Weller's out there as great bourbon. Blanton's is great bourbon. Eagle Rare is great bur- bourbon. But I'm not going to pay 1200 to $1,500 a bottle for it. But, yeah, they have, like, uh, for instance, that 12-year bottle that I had here's the craziness of it locally every year there is a wine slash liquor store downtown and uh actually saw toby out in front of there one day during a christmas thing did you say hello no because <laughs> i figured if he knows who i am he's gonna just straight plant me on my ass <laughs> nah, i don't think so man i mean again i think that there i think that there's oh you do think so I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think his family was definitely tired of seeing it in the paper every day. Uh, well, there, you or have a job to day. do. You have yeah. a job to do. And if it would have been you, it would have been somebody else. And, and sure. again, I, I didn't live there, so I didn't read the paper. And I I haven't. Um, I did read a couple articles that I could find. But uh, I, I mean, I don't think there was any smearing or anything. I mean, you're, you're reporting factual stuff. So right. uh, I, I think that I don't know if that's a cross that you're bearing. I, I'd, uh, I'd reach out and, uh, you know, get that off your chest if it's a if it's well, frustrating. I mean, one day there is a thought out there of mine that I've had since the beginning of doing like a small book on this, because there's plenty of things that people don't know that are not going to be obviously in the documentary. And I think there's very few people like there occasionally a Washington post or there was even like somebody from GQ that came to town and they're like, Hey, let me buy you lunch. Now tell me everything I need to know (laughs) that nobody else is talking about. But it was like down at this local liquor store once a year, they raffle off the chance to buy 10 year, 12 year and a 20 year. Sure. And they will sell it to you at, you know, at cost for them. Yeah. So I won a chance to buy a bottle of 12 year Pappy Van Winkle for 65 bucks. Mm. I hope the hell you bought it. I hope you bought bought it. it. (laughs) And then after we finished it, that's the 12 year I was talking about after we finished it, you know, I had the bottle sitting in my bar for a long time. And my wife's like, look, I know everybody's just like ate crazy for this Pappy Van Winkle. Do we need to keep the empty bottle? And I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, no, not really. She literally put it on Facebook marketplace. And within 10 minutes, there was a guy meeting her to buy an empty bottle for 50 bucks, <laughs> an empty bottle which he was probably going to pour like old Barton or something in and impress his friends and tell them all that it's Fabby Van Winkle. It's insane how far the secondary market has gone. Oh, and when I bought the bottle and I hadn't touched it, I immediately had people offer me 13, $1,400 for it. Oh yeah. And I was like, I don't know when I'm going to get this again. I'm not selling it. You know, I'm, I'm totally on your side with if it's, if, if I'm going to spend the money, 
Like I want to enjoy it. I'm not in the liquor selling business. Well, we did do a few barrel picks. So I'm in, I'm in the business of providing people with barrel picks. By the way, I need your address once, uh, once we get done, unless you want to give it out now for everybody to hear. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you can find it somewhere online. <laughs> I do get your address. But no, I, I'm totally with you. Yeah. So it's, um, but it, it's, uh, it's interesting, you know, just that whole, the, the whole thing of how it kind of, of where we sit today and, and what was happening, you know, and I don't know, 2013. I mean, I wouldn't say that was, I mean, we had good, you know, I was still using a Blackberry probably in 2013. Right. So I, my internet was definitely not, not what it, what, what it is today, but sure. um, it, it's uh, you know, I think we're, we we're well advanced, uh, you know, past where we were at the time. <laughs> what do you, what's um, it just in, in the, in the market, right. From a secondary standpoint and, and being in Kentucky and living in Frankfurt, uh, like what's, what, what's the, what's the climate like? How was, how was the docu series received in the community? Uh, what, what's, what's, uh, what's the take on that? Well, it was really kind of weird because, um, you know, neighbors that never, ever talked to me before I'm out mowing my grass and they're like stopping in their cars while they're driving down my road. And they're like, are you, uh, did I, uh, yeah, that's me. I knew it. I told my wife that was you, you know, I think, uh, I think everybody enjoyed it. Toby had a viewing party downtown Wow. and, it, and, in, and invited a bunch of the media. I think maybe one TV station showed up. I was invited to, um, you know, over the years, the two detectives in the documentary, I got to know them really well. I consider them now that I'm not a journalist and that invisible barrier is gone. You know, we've become good friends because it's like every now and then we'll be like, oh, man, did you hear what they said about this or that? Or can you believe this is going on? So they invited me to a viewing party with a bunch of other law enforcement over in another county. Cool. And that was kind of crazy. Did you, know, did like, you go? Did you go to it? Oh, yeah. My wife and I went and I was like, can you believe we're in a room full of law enforcement officers right now? And she's like, yeah, I don't think you wrote about any of these. I hope you. <laughs> well, I was about to say, was anybody kind of squeamish when uh, when it played? No. <laughs> no, no. I mean, you know, I mean, law enforcement gets a bad rap nowadays, but they're just hardworking guys like we are. Yeah. And yeah, they sure. have to put up with. You know, as a journalist, you see so many crazy things. I've seen some crazy crime scene footage. I've been to some crazy crime scenes. I've seen people shot and whatever else. What these guys go through every day, it's, an, it's, it's crazy insane. So, uh, you know, looking back at it, it's just, it, it's, it, it's really crazy. And I developed a lot of good sources during this time. And some of them I never even met. I talked to them either through encrypted email sure. or... You know, they had my cell phone number, but they were calling me from an unknown number. Um, yeah. And then there's the secondary market. Like in 2013, Pappy Van Winkle was hard to find because they were only letting so much of it out a year. So in Frankfurt, when you're talking about the climate here in Frankfurt, um, I think everybody received it kind of well. My former occupation, the state journal, they called and interviewed me about it and, uh, you know, they didn't have the stones to put in there everything that I had to say about it as far as, like, <laughs> yeah, you should follow this up because this never, ever got solved. But, um, you know, I think for the most part, everybody's like, the one thing everybody says is, okay, 
where where did the hillbilly moonshiner come from? And I'm like, man, we're moonshine gonna, moonshine Mike. Yeah, I'm like, we're probably going to find out that guy actually lives in like Tennessee or something, you know? <laughs> hey, it's my cousin. Come on. <laughs> like, um, you know, but I think it's well received, but it's like, you know, the last time I bought Blanton's, it was $60 a bottle. Yeah. It's a lot more expensive now. Can't Still can't find Weller hardly anywhere. I literally had to go two counties over to somebody I know who has a liquor store because as soon as it hits the shelf, it's gone. Um, you can still find 10 year Eagle rare on occasion. You're never going to find any Pappy Van Winkle ever around. No shit. It, that, that, it, it ain't, it ain't happening. No. <laughs> and, and if it makes it, cause, cause I do know, like, um, I'm sure you guys are probably hip to this. Buffalo trace puts out an antique collection every year. Yeah, they sure. got the George cheap. They got the stag and all that other kind of stuff. Some yeah. of it's pretty good. The Sazerac rye, all that William, kind of stuff. uh, William LaRue. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, so they all get allotted so much, but it never hits the shelf because I think they're probably calling their loyal customer like, hey, I got it in, but I'm not putting it on the shelf because it's going to be gone. I don't know that I've ever seen a bottle of antique in a store. Uh, and and I, I, the there, there's, there's six or seven of them. I, I don't know that I've ever seen a single bottle. Uh, no, not, and it wouldn't be on the shelf, right? They'd have it behind or in a case or whatever. I don't think I've, I, I can't recall ever seeing one. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I went through the phase of, I loved old fashions. And then my older brother, who's a, you know, a big cocktail guy was like, man, you got to try the Sazerac, the original cocktail. Oh, and yeah. You got to have absinthe and you got to have a good rye. And then I'm sitting there like, if I want to buy Sazerac rye, I got to buy it off of a website in California. Like, <laughs> that's crazy. I mean, it, it's crazy right down the street. Down the street. Yeah. And the other crazy thing is, is that we're sitting there going, man, all of a sudden, everybody else in the world finally figured out we were making bourbon here. And they've gone crazy <laughs> for it. And now we can't get it. And then there's the other local perspective, kind of like you're talking about, like, there's no way I'm paying $1,500 for a bottle of bourbon. But then you look on the internet, and I mean, there's sometimes it's going for four grand. Well, shit, I'm thinking like, well, if I pay fifteen hundred and he'll pay three thousand, I mean, why wouldn't I pay fifteen hundred? <laughs> because yeah, the question because, is, how valuable is it? Well, yeah. it depends on whatever anybody's willing to pay for it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, so I mean, I think everybody received it very well. I don't think, you know, I think the documentary was good in the fact of it wasn't a gotcha kind of thing. Yeah, we weren't making fun of Kentucky, and you know we have our fair share of jokes. But you know they asked me about is this an outlaw culture, you know, with the whole moonshine thing or not? And I'm like, no, we're just kind of like independent country people. You know, there's a lot of Scotch, Irish, and German here, and sure. we were an agrarian society. And the last thing, I don't know if you've ever guys have ever followed like uh, looked into the historical stuff around like the bourbon wars and all that, where they started trying to tax people in Kentucky for the moonshine that they were producing or the bourbon they were producing. And it was the the Commonwealth of Kentucky, by the way, not the state. Yeah. Yeah. The Commonwealth. And uh, it just didn't work out. And uh, you know, I think there's still that culture and it's kind of hard to explain to somebody from California that, yeah, they look like a bunch of hillbillies to you and they have all these guns, but growing up in the country, we used to think of a gun just like we would a pocket knife or a fishing rod. Yeah, sure. 
And yeah, what, uh, what did I, I heard somebody say, uh, maybe I may be plagiarizing. So uh, I'll give whoever credits it was that I heard it from. But if you live in Kentucky, you live in Kentucky. If you live in Louisville, you live in Ohio. <laughs> yeah, or you might as well. Yeah, if you live in Louisville, you're definitely living somewhere other than Kentucky. Oh, I'm sorry, Indiana. Indiana, excuse yeah. me. You live in, you yeah. li- sorry, you live yeah. in Indiana. Yeah, yeah like uh, Louisville and Lexington are 10 times more liberal and progressive than any other part of the state. Yeah, 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 yeah. And even uh, here, we're only 45 minutes away from Louisville. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, yeah. I've, I've been there uh, a couple times, so and and had the pleasure of touring the distillery, which was fun. So, uh, do you know or did you meet Moonshine Mike? No. Okay. All right. No. I'm, now, I'm, when they were doing the documentary, they were like, "Do you know anybody that we can speak to that can speak from authority about why Kentucky's such a great place to for all these distilleries?" And I'm like. Well, you know, kind of like what Moonshine Mike said, uh, you know, it's the limestone, it's the water. Sure. And so they were trying to find that guy. And they were like, well, do you know anybody? I was like, look, if I knew somebody, which I might, just like your friend who does Moonshine, I'm sure as hell not going to give up who they are. <laughs> they, they I'm not ain't getting t- cut <laughs> off. Are you crazy? <laughs> They're not talking about this. So, so Brad, how did they find – like? Uh, I mean, hopefully everybody gets why you were the person that they found, but right. when, in, in the folks that directed the movie, um, why did they come to, what, not why, how did they find Brad uh, right, and, right. and get you there? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think once they started looking into the case, they approached, uh, you know, they approached Pat, who was no longer sheriff. They approached the detectives because, some of that was public record. They had, they uh, approached the Commonwealth's attorney. And unlike, I was just fortunate and lucky. It's not because I'm smart, I'm any more clever than the next guy. It's that I worked for a small enough paper to where, you know, I wasn't working at a big paper where it's like, hey, you're going to, it's hit it and quit it. You're going to cover this story and then you're going to move on to something else. And then you're going to move on to something else. My, you know, I, I was writing next to a lot of great journalists, but they were covering a lot of other great things. So they didn't have the liberty of sitting down for two years and doing nothing but waiting through this case and following up on leads. And like there was one day that I spent the entire day just verifying that, hey, the guy that has his name right here on this piece of paper, that's the same name as the former chief of police in Georgetown. Is that who this is? And I would have to go through seven different people, seven different phone calls and interviews to finally verify that. So, you know, and then on top of that, I think when they were looking into it, they found my website, which, you know, if you go to it, it's obviously not a flashy website. It's just you got to tell us what that is again so we can go to it. Sure. It's it's all one word. No spaces, no caps, no nothing. It's news, politics bourbon.com and i'll send you the link but it's literally just almost in a uh you know in linear form of what happened that day all of my links don't work because we were also bought out by a larger entity while i was covering this so a lot of my original links to the 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 articles that i wrote they go to the state journal oh. they don't and oh no I, I i found that out it's hard to find brad bowman online trust me Yeah, if you put in Brad Bowman, Bourbon Trail, Brad Bowman, Frankfort, Kentucky, Pappy Gate, anything like that, I will pop up. 
I, so what I did find out is you're, uh, I think you bowled like the most 300 uh, games of any amateur bowler in the U.S., yeah, that's not me. <laughs> no, I, 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 just saying, there, right. there is there is one out there. Maybe I can make some money off that. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think uh, everybody's still talking about it. You know, I mean, there are there's more than I could ever say because of my sources. There's more than I think because it's done and over with. And I mean, if you look on the face of it, right? This is just a guy or guys that stole a bunch of property and you could romanticize it because it's bourbon and bourbon is hot right now. The yeah. rest of the world is hot on bourbon. You know, you got your single barrel Woodford reserve is coming out with some, this, another crazy bourbon that they have. And then you have people that are actually like, I, I think you might've had one of them on your show where they're actually mixing different bourbons. Oh yeah. With their own, their own yep. kind of, which is kind of nice. And then, you know, and I think a lot of the misconception here is that bourbon is still just a Kentucky thing and it's not. And I think it's exciting <clears throat> that it's not because, uh, you know, in Virginia, I have some connection way down the line to the people in Virginia that are putting out the John H Bowman and, that <clears throat> Brad, Brad, we'd love to have them on the show, by the way. <laughs> okay. Let me see what I can do. Let me see what I can do. Yeah. So, but anyway, to get back to your point, cause I will go down the rabbit hole too. I spent so much time on this. I think I was the only one that at the time broke out. Hey, Toby Kurtzinger wasn't the only one doing this. Like I had a ring you know, I mean, it was literally yeah. like a cop show where it was like I had Toby, I had Sean, and then I had strings going to all these different people so I could just keep in track of, okay, who is Ronnie Lee Hubbard and who is Dusty Adkins and who is Sean Ballard and, you know, on and on and on and on. So at what point, at what point, you may or may not answer this, uh, these are, we're, we're well over our allotted hour, which I said we probably would be. So if you, you know, whenever you're like, hey, I've had enough, just, uh, you know, let, let us sure. know. But when, so when you're like, hey, shit, this is like, this ain't like some dude like running shit out of the back of his truck. Like this is like, there's a big thing going on here. At what point did somebody say, uh, yeah, Brad, you need to not say that anymore. Right. I mean, my bosses were saying, say everything <laughs> as long as you can back it up and we don't get in a lawsuit. Yeah. But there were, there were concerns that I was cranking so much of it out locally that if it did go to trial, they would have to move it to another County sure. because it would be too much in the news. There yeah. were concerns about that. Uh, my wife had concerns because there were threats on my life and Frankfurt's a very small town. And when you're writing about police officers that have access to computers with your address and your license and, you know, uh, there was, you know, there was personal concerns there, but my thing is, you know, you don't get into journalism to be rich. You get into journalism because it's something that you think you should do. That's that serves the public good, just like a police officer. You know, I sure. mean, I don't think anybody dreams of writing speeding tickets, but they <laughs> but they dream of making their community a better place. And yeah. uh, there were times where I had to explain to my editors like, 
okay, now wait a minute. How does this piece fit? And I'm like, okay, well, let me show you, you know, and I'd pull it all out. Or like I said, I literally had a board at my desk with names or pictures on it. I'm like, all right, this is how this guy fits in here. And uh, (laughs) you could get so far down into the weeds that it's like, I would start to see people's eyes glaze over and I'd be like, is it because they're bored or it's because I've just lost them? Because you can get so far into the weeds. With no, I think, I think, I think I, well, it, I know that's not where you're going, but I'm thinking it's so friggin' complex versus what you're thinking about. It's like going shit that went where, you know, it's, yeah. you got so yeah. many moving parts of what was kind of what, what's illustrated in the docuseries as like a very, it, they allude to the fact that there's like a ring and the mafia or, or organized crime or whatever, whatever they call right. it. I think it, you got to have so many people and, and th- things get tied back. But yeah, I mean, it's no shit. I think it was a bunch of good old people stealing, uh, stealing liquor and selling it. Right, so. Yeah. And, and they knew, Hey, this is a way to has us to have a side hustle. Right. And right. it's not like, you know, they're not selling, you know, they're not selling candy bars for the local football team. You know what I mean? They're doing something that everybody's kind of been to. And so I mean, you- it, went, it went so far as like they found a bottle of stolen, stolen Pappy in Indiana at a bar in Clarksville that literally the owner bought from a pawn shop. And I don't know how Indiana law works, <laughs> But I'm pretty sure you have to have a license to sell it. And I'm pretty sure that pawn shops don't sell liquor. And I mean, the stories like that or the bear hunt or the bear guy being paid with stolen bourbon or somebody going on a business trip and realizing, oh, man, I got three bottles of stolen bourbon and I was getting ready to take them to Texas for this, you know, this corporate client that I'm going to wine and dine with some Kentucky goods. Yeah. 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 There, there's a lot of blowback. I think that that didn't occur yeah. uh, for obvious reasons. Right. But I mean, there, right. yeah, there, there's a lot of cannon fodder that could have uh, could have definitely uh, uh, sprayed everyone. So how did how was your um, so you two years working on this thing and you said earlier, you know, you, prior to you were kind of, you know, it's kind of run and gun, right? I got this one, that one, this one, that one, this one, that one. Did, did you, as a journalist, uh, as a reporter, uh, did, did you prefer, are you like, no, I like the going from story to story or did this kind of stick into the whole, uh, Hey, I got one kind of main focus. Did one of those resonate with you more than the other? I would say one investigative journal journalism is where it's at for me because it, this wasn't my, this wasn't my, this was my first dance with the city police force, but it was not my last. And, uh, and, uh, you know, that's where the interesting thing is and, and not to be on a moral high horse, but it's like, you know, if you're a law enforcement officer, follow the damn law, you know, if I get pulled speeding and I got, and I was speeding. You got me. But um, it was it was a great opportunity to just be able to dive into something. Um, you know, I was wrapped in. I knew as soon as I walked in and I'm like, oh, man, I expected like Louisville, Lexington uh, TV stations to be there at the press conference. I didn't expect anybody from the BBC or from Chicago or from New York or the Washington post. Like, yeah, I know everybody likes bourbon, but I didn't know it was this big of a deal. (laughs) And, um, you know, I mean, it was something like you'd go in and, and I'd write my two stories for the day or, 
or sometimes I would just work on following leads and investigating it and see where it went and what needed to happen next with the whole timeline. But then it was like I'd get off work and I'd be walking the dogs. I'd get a phone call from a source on this. Uh, somebody else would be like, hey, you need to talk to so-and-so. Like, it was almost a 24-7 thing. Like, I mean, I remember even at Thanksgiving, my wife being like, okay, you get one more phone call, and then after that, I'm taking the damn phone. That's <laughs> it. Like, you know, and I'm getting phone calls from, sure. you know, re- some reliable sources because I know who they are. So I'm not going to pass up the opportunity to get more information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, it was... It consumed a big part of my life. It really did. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. But I mean, it's just so interesting because, you know, you add in the small town factor and the bourbon and our culture here and, you know, you're from Tennessee. So you kind of get that. You probably have a similar culture of what we grew up with. And, uh, I'm a, I'm a hillbilly at heart, man. It'll never yeah. be, uh, never be taken away. Yeah. And I mean, just to paint a picture for your listeners with Frankfurt is, any Joe bag of donuts could walk into downtown Frankfurt and you're going to be possibly having a drink with a distillery worker. You're going to be having a drink next to a state Senator, uh, somebody in the house of representatives, uh, possibly somebody in FBI. Cause we are the capital of Kentucky. So there's an FBI presence here. And then within five minutes, you're out in the middle of BFE and nowhere and you're surrounded in the Hills and the hollers and that's it. In case people don't know what BFE is, uh, that's bum fucked Egypt. I don't know. I don't know if we can actually say that anymore, but, uh, but, but we did say it. So, right. Well, five minutes outside of Frankfurt, you're in the sticks. Like there's places where you're not. No, no. I, I like BF. I'm totally cool with BFE, but a lot of people may not know what BFE is. They, I, I didn't know there was an Egypt, Kentucky. Right. Yeah. I mean, as a kid, I was like, why is everybody always knocking on Egypt? Like what's that all about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's just, you know, it's such a small town, rural place where a lot of huge things happen. And we're also surrounded by, you have Buffalo Trace. Jim Beam has a huge presence here. Uh, and then you go to the other side of Franklin County and you have Old Crow, Key and Castle, or Castle and Key, uh, Woodfoot Reserve. And, you know, I mean, there's just a huge influx of bourbon and booze in this town i i know we've got to talk offline about why the hell you're not writing more about bourbon so and and i know i know you you're doing something different now but um that we don't need to get into but i'm like why the hell are you not writing more about bourbon i mean you just made the netflix docuseries on pappy gate why (laughs) why is brad bowman not like the be all end up why are you not the paul packle of uh of of journalism for whiskey right i mean i'm not saying and i'm not saying that you're not maybe maybe we maybe we just defined you i mean i think you just gave me a great idea that i've had a couple of friends that are like man do i just need to kick you do i need to just like get you up off your seat and do this i mean like yeah yeah, don't count me out i mean i'm thinking about seriously writing a book i'm seriously there's obviously an audience for it uh it's interesting and uh you know, there's plenty of good bourbons that are not happening in Kentucky, but I mean, there's plenty of great things happening here too. A lot of people don't realize uh, Buffalo Trace, Old Forester, they're planting their own trees now. 
So no, no, they, no, no, Brad. That that's book number two. Book right, number right. one. Book number one. <laughs> Let's. <laughs> hey, hold on, hold on, Brad. Wait, right. I, I'm I'm Adderall's on its way. No squirrel. No squirrel. No squirrel. Right. right. Uh, no, no. Back back with me. Eagle Rare. By the way, I'm still. I've I've had a few samples. You can probably hear, but uh, <laughs> this is so much fun, though, man. But I, I think, holy shit, you've got so much information. Um, you've got so much, uh, which, uh, you, you're the reporter, you'll, you'll correct me, but, um, you've got so much documented factual information. And, and I think that in the, uh, in your delivery of how it's coming across, uh, in, you know, uh, verbally, I, I think it's a really, really nice, uh, I think it's easy to listen to and what it was and what it is. And I, and you know, again, I don't know why you wouldn't want to push that out and, and expand upon something that's already intriguing people's interests. I mean, Netflix, there's a lot of garbage on there, but they, right. I, I shouldn't say garbage. There's a lot of stuff that you probably wouldn't watch. Right. right. It's like, eh, but there's a lot of content. That's a better way to say oh, it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but this is one that's, it's very interesting to kind of, and to watch it and what happened. And I mean, who's talking about shit that was from, uh, eight years ago, seven years ago. I mean, right. people are living in the now and the, and, and in the present and in the future. I don't see a lot of like kind of, you know, retrofitting things these days. Maybe I'm missing it, but I think that you've got a total opportunity to be able to um, uh, share something that you put a lot of time and, and an investment in that's, uh, that I think people would be interested in. I'm interested in it. I'm I'll, just going to say you're hired right now because I need an agent. So I'll, I'll take a book and uh, only, but only if you sign it. Absolutely. <laughs> only if you sign it. Only if you I'll, sign it. I'll absolutely sign it. And All right, one so, day we'll have to meet up for that drink. Well, shit. Uh, so that's where we're getting to next. And, yeah. and I, I know you probably got to go, so we won't keep you long on this one. But Dan has a lot of fun questions he's going to ask you. But before, before he does, before he does, um, golf course. Are you a golfer? I know you're a bowler. I know you're a bowler, and you bowled the most 300 games in the past <laughs> 10 years. So clearly you're a bowler. But right. do, you, are, do you play golf at all? Not as much as I want to. And it's the one game I love and hate all at the same time. Ooh, so you are, so you you're are a set of clubs. <laughs> yeah. so yeah. clear, all, it, all it takes is that one good hit and you're hooked for the rest of your life. That's right. And clearly he's a golfer. Exactly. exactly. Uh, so, uh, and I've, I've been uh, teasing. I, I typically don't do this. I usually wait until after the fact, so I don't like hose anybody, but I've been, uh, I've been threatening. Uh, is it keen Keeneland? Uh, country club or Keeneland golf course. They gave, yeah. they threw, they threw me a soft response and that's pretty close to Frankfurt, right? Yeah. I mean, it's uh less than half an hour up the road. Hmm. So I've been threatening. We're coming up to do some barrel picks. And I said, right. we'd love to play the course, get some pictures and whatnot. And, um, have the, uh, have the pro on or whoever would want to come on. Yeah. Um, so, and they gave me like a soft yes. So Brad, if you know anybody, I'd take a, a more firm yes. Gotcha. Um, that, that, that'd be great. I might have some contacts that has contacts there. So I'll see. That, see, I'm, I'm already doing the, I'm already Toby in this thing. You see what's yes, happening? Yes. See, do, you, do you see how this ring? Ha so, so basically uh, uh, the Bourbon King on heist 
The docuseries has stimulated another ring is what's happening here. And, and I'm totally cool with the ring. I'm totally cool with it because I get to be part of it. There you go. Uh, that, well, I mean, I wouldn't think of it any other way. Okay, so we're drinking Eagle Rare right now. Dan, you were not drinking Eagle Rare. What were you having? I had, uh, I've actually had some more of this Lost Lantern he was talking about. He was talking about people that are putting things together. I had some Lost Lantern. Oh, yeah. some Lost Lantern. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a good one. Uh, so, uh, Brad, we'll, we'll, we'll do the, uh, the salutations in a minute. So, Frankfurt, Kentucky. If I'm coming up and, uh, well, forget about Frankfurt. I'm coming up to visit the Bur- Bourbon Trail. Uh, where am I staying? Where am I eating? And, uh, what distilleries am I visiting? Ooh, that's kind of hard. You know, uh, <laughs> the bourbon trail used to be Bardstown and that area. That's where, you know, heaven Hill is that's still sort of owned by the family. You could definitely knock out a big part of it in Bardstown. You have, obviously you have heaven Hill, you have 1792, um, a lot of distilleries down in there. I mean, the problem, the problem now is I'm just waiting for the bourbon bubble to bust because every other day I'm finding out, oh, here's another Joe Bag of Donuts open a distillery and they're going to make it look like a Cracker Barrel inside and they're going to tear down somebody's farm log cabin and put that up inside there. So it's like um, you got to see Old Forester. Uh, you know, I'm sure you know Brown Foreman. Uh, you know, that's another still family owned business. They're- old Forester, old Forester in Louisville or yeah. old Forest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So in, in Louisville. Yeah. Because I mean, in yeah. Louisville, you could go to the feast restaurant, which is killer barbecue. Uh, they have this crazy, uh, what, what I call it's like an appetizer that I would have made after I came in after drinking a bunch of bourbon. Not only can you get bourbon slushies there, but they have this appetizer and it's this mound of tater tots. They make their own like fresh Southern slaw with this white foamy dressing. (laughs) And then they sprinkle a bunch. They just, they almost paint it like a cake with barbecue sauce that they make. (laughs) And I'm like, man, this is uh, you know, this is like munchy food right here. Like, listen, Dan is not getting skinnier as you talk. I can tell you that. Uh, They have excellent barbecue. Uh, That's killer. Uh, you would definitely have to, uh, I don't know if you're a Maker's Mark fan. Uh, when I was growing up in the day, that used to be like the fanciest bourbon. And it's like, really their 46 is the good bourbon in my opinion, not Mm -hmm. the Maker's Mark itself, Mm -hmm. but that's in Loretto, which is right outside of Bardstown. Um, there you go. There you go. Arabic. Oh yeah. That's good. That's good stuff. Are you an ambassador too? Have you done that yet? Uh, you get your name on a barrel? Did you just, Brad, did you just call me a bastard? Yes, I'm a bastard. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know I, I am. I am an ambassador for Maker's Mark, but right. I'm, uh, we also did a barrel pick with, uh, with the major series this year. Nice. So, so you should definitely see Buffalo Trace. Uh, it was H and H before it was Buffalo Trace. Uh, Ooh, actually, back to the heist. I think they were actually... Uh, I think things were taken from ancient age, not Buffalo Trace Distillery. Is that right, or am I wrong? It's the same place. No, no, I know, but I think at the time, I think they were taking things from the ancient age distillery, not the Buffalo Trace Distillery. I could be completely wrong about that. 
Well, I mean, it is the same place, but in 2012, I think it was still just Buffalo Trace. Okay, I got you. I got you. Yeah, in 2012, actually, it was. Yeah, because they were they were making Buffalo Trace before 2012. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, still got some of the original uh, Rick houses. They have one of the original boilers still from the 1800s, and that's really cool to see. Um, Colonel Blanton's house is right across the street. Some of his family still live there, hmm. literally right across the street. Hmm. Um, and it's it's worth seeing. You know, it, it's a neat distillery. Um, another neat one that I've wanted to see is on the other side of Franklin County, Castle and Key. Mm-hmm. They had a, uh, I think it was kind of like the state's first female uh, mm-hmm. master distiller. Mm-hmm. And she went on to work with uh, Peyton Manning and somebody. Yeah, Marianne, Marianne Eves. Yeah, she's a friend yeah. of the show. Yeah, great, great yeah. person. Yeah. That that whole complex down there is beautiful. It looks like an old stone castle. It literally <laughs> does. It's huge. It used to be the Taylor Distillery, if I'm remembering that right. Yep. And then if you just keep going down that road is Woodford Reserve and it's beautiful. And you know, there's a lot of tourist traps in it. And I'm not saying the new distilleries don't make good bourbon. And but I would say, you know, Maker's Mark, you're gonna feel like you're stepping back on the family farm. Buffalo Trace, you're definitely gonna feel like you're stepping back in history. Castle Key is just beautiful by itself and like you know, it's right there on the Kentucky River, like Buffalo Trace. So they're just, they've got their water source right there. It's sure. pretty amazing. And, uh, you know, there's some other ones, but those are the ones that I would hit. Uh, plenty of great places to eat in Louisville or Lexington. And, uh, you know, I would say, unfortunately, not that I don't like Frankfurt, but, you know, four star restaurants is not our thing here. But there what? is. Yeah, but there's got to be something. Uh, off the record, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, hold, hold I don't on, need an Applebee's, on. brother. Let me th- tell you th- that. This conversation is being recorded. <laughs> right, right. Uh, uh, oh, there's a great place downtown called Serafini's. Best place to get a cocktail in Frankfurt. Uh, well, and I mean, there's also uh, Bourbon on Main. You can literally sit on the back of their patio overlooks the Kentucky river. That's great. They have great cocktails. It's one of the few places you can get an actual Sazerac, an actual old fashioned and it's made the right way. Serafini's or bourbon on main. Definitely check those out. Um, Wait, hold on though. Hold on. So if you're going out to eat, where do you go out to eat? I, these days I'm going, you know, I've been here since 2014. So these days, I'm going to Louisville for the most part or Lexington because there's so many new restaurants there. Mm-hmm. Like, you got to consider mm-hmm. Frankfurt's a small town. There's only so much that a small town can support. Mm-hmm. Sure. And the old clientele of Frankfurt are either going down to Serafini's where it's expensive or they're going to Longhorn Steakhouse, mm-hmm. you know, or Applebee's. Or can, I, uh, hey, can you still throw your peanuts on the floor during the COVID era? I don't know. I don't know, but I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt it, man. Those peanuts may have COVID. Don't throw it out there. Right. But, I mean, there's some exciting things going on in Louisville. And then in Lexington, uh, you know, uh, there's a chef. I'll think of her last name, Wita Michelle, I think it is. She's been in a couple of – She's been in a couple of, you know, she's gotten some national recognition for her. I know. Can you, I know you're, you were thinking of it. Can you say that again or you want to send it to me? 
I'll send it to you just to All make right. sure I'm accurate. Yeah, 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 cool. And then, I mean, in Louisville, there's just, there's some great things. Proof on Main. Uh, oh, I love that place. Yeah, Barvetti's good. Uh, oh, shit. Yeah, I love no, it. No, I mean, Louisville, I mean, man, they, that's that, that's like a foodie heaven. I mean, I don't know if you need direction in Louisville. Now, we're looking for the dirt. Like, where do you, not, not dirt in a bad way, we're right. looking for the local. Where do you go that I would, like, if I were going to Buffalo Trace and I'd rented a Airbnb and stayed in their whatever, and I'm going out to eat, and they said, hey, here's our recommendations. Where are you sending me to go and eat? If it was here in town, it would either be um, Serafini Bourbon on Main, or there's a place right by woodford reserve called the stave it's expensive but yeah. it's really good food like it's oh, yeah, definitely good food yeah I haven't, I haven't eaten there but i've definitely heard about it yeah uh so yeah uh okay so uh we talked about golf talked about uh where where to eat uh do you have a favorite place to travel to and i know that travel has been weird right uh, but if you but the next time you get to travel uh, where's, where's Brad Bowman going and it, and it could be, uh, professional. It could be personal. Where's Brad right. Bowman heading to, um, here in Kentucky, you know, we got a lot of Hills and whatever else. And I do on the side, I have a, one of my other loves, uh, uh, you know, growing up in the country, we did a lot of camping, believe it or not. I was a boy scout. I know I look like one today. Eagle, was, Eagle, did you make Eagle? No, man, I got interested in girls and bourbon, like, and rock and roll. I just, you know, I, I wasn't going to go and camp out with a bunch of dudes anymore once I could drive. You know what I'm saying? It's like these dudes are lame, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, it just wasn't my thing. So, but we have a big, the Daniel Boone National Forest here. And everybody calls it the Gorge, Red River Gorge. It's like yeah, sure. <laughs> over 15,000 uh, acres. Uh, you can go out and camp in the woods, you're going to see bears. You're going to see huge sandstone cliffs and arches and bridges. And you can literally get lost in there for days. Waterfalls. They even found an old illegal moonshine still there back in the day from the 1800s. It's not I mean, where I got my moonshine from. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, I spent a lot of time going to that kind of, those kind of places here in Kentucky. Fun, fun. Dan? I know you got. I know you got something. Well, you used up all the good questions. <laughs> no, well, I know. I want you to. I want you to come in uh, to curveballs, baby. Th right. Hey, throw me the heater. Throw all in the right. heater. Okay. So, if uh, Hollywood makes a a movie about this, I know you have the documentary. If they make like you know like a Spotlight or uh, the big short style movie, who plays Toby? Oh, oh, it wouldn't be uh, what's his name from uh, Fast and Furious. It wouldn't be Jason Statham. Jason Statham. No, it would yeah. not be Jason Statham. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know who would play Toby. That's a great question, though. All right, who who, who plays you? I don't know, but they had some guy named Sam Pond play me on the. There's like, I think they were going to use him a lot more, but he's like. He's like the guy sitting at the desk drinking his coffee, looking at the thing. And I'm like, oh, hey, honey, I have an actor that plays me. Isn't that something? I don't know who this guy is. What are you uh, doing? Yeah, I don't know who plays me. Simply Red or, uh, you know, Carrot Top, somebody like that. <laughs> nice. You're leading with Carrot Top. Yeah. Uh, that's I good mean, stuff. I'm just, you know, 
We're, we're going to do this show different on the, we're going to need the hair different on the next show. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, Dan, you, you've got one more. I've got, wow. I, you, I, uh, what's your, uh, what's your go-to uh, nightcap? Uh, I would say it's definitely Eagle Rare. Most recently, uh, there's a lot of, I really liked it, but I haven't bought a bottle of it. My older brother drinks it a lot. Is that prohibition, uh, recipe old Forester? I think that's pretty good as a bourbon. 1920. Oh yeah. 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 But I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I don't shy away from Blanton's or Weller. If I had my choice, I'd love to have Weller, but man, it's hard to find. Mm-hmm. I, I'd like, I'm a firm believer that if you have something good, the only thing you should put in it and maybe the only thing you should put in it is maybe an ice cube. Yeah. And I would say Weller, Eagle Rare, Pappy Van Winkle fits that bill. Cool. Um, hey, what's your what's your favorite? Uh, I mean, you live there. I'm sure you've had them all. But what's your favorite Weller uh, expression? Uh, like so, the, so you can go colors. Or you can go by uh, by the name. So, green label special reserves, pretty available. You got one hundred and seven red label. Uh, I want to say it's the green. I think that's it. Well, so you like the the special reserve, the green label. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. And it's reasonable. It's hard to find, but it's reasonable. It's crazy that it's right fucking there and you can't find it, man. So it crazy. is insane. It drives me nuts. And like, uh, at one point in time, I had a younger brother that was living in Colorado and he's like, Oh man, I can find Sazerac and all that. It's sitting on the floor at the liquor store and nobody knows what the hell it is. You know, everybody's worried about going to dispensaries out here. Nobody cares about bourbon. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that just blows my mind that it's that hard to find. Um, I occasionally enjoy a good rye. I think they're, I think some of them are a little overpriced. Well, let me tell you, you've got a rye coming your way. So once we get done, you're going to send me your address and I'm sending you a rye that is going to ruin your rye, um, tasting profile for the rest of your life. And you'll never be able to find another one like it because it was a single barrel and it is, it's so fucking good, Brad. It, I'm, I'm telling you, I don't even know if you want to open it. I'm just, I would just put it back there and just be like, man, I hear this is so good. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I'm not opening it because it's going to ruin my right experience for the rest of my life. And literally it is going to do that. Right. Just yeah, um, that just made me think of something like, so my wife's from Rhode Island. And uh, her mother and her aunts are like first generation Italians here. Like they're fluid Italians. Her uncle Joe died. We went out there for the funeral. Long story short, he had all this booze in his basement and her aunt did not drink. And she's like, go down there and find anything you want. And I literally found one of those old commemorative small bottles of uh, old Forester bonded at eight years old in 1958 and i had a dude buy it from me online and i literally think i don't even think it was 16 ounces it was just like a small one it was literally like this tall yeah 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 yeah, yeah like a pint, pint i had pint a guy thing. buy it from me off the internet for 400 bucks and that's the way you know that the man is not a true alcoholic because he still has booze left in the basement <laughs> right right yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I have my own personal collection of a couple of moonshines that, uh, you know, 
without labels on them. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about, Brad. Right, right. Uh, hey, so hold on. So we're going to, uh, you have been more than generous, sir. Um, so any last words for the docuseries of uh, the heist on Netflix, which is the bourbon King. Any last notes there? Uh, I would just say pour yourself two or three fingers worth and sit back and sip and enjoy the ride. Nice. And going forward, how do people find Brad? Well, when you write the book about Pappy Gate, how do yeah. people find uh, Brad Bowman and how do they get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, you can go to the website where I kind of laid out the case. That's newspoliticsbourbon.com. You can also find me, message me on Instagram. I know we've been talking on my YouTube channel that I use for uh, that I use mostly for camping, but you can find me on Instagram. I think it's B R D Bowman B O W M A N. I thought it was like Trio something or uh, the one that you were looking at was my my camping one Tree Riot. I have the, I, oh we damn we have the secret recipe I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's kind of like when I started that YouTube thing, it was like, oh, uh, I need to make this separate from my personal account because of what <laughs> yeah, I do shit, now. This is a lot of work. Because of what I do now, I can be monitored on social media. Oh, so there, so so you shouldn't be find you shouldn't find him on social media, and <laughs> you should find you should only find him at his dot com, well, which was uh, news politics bourbon, and that's news plural. Politics, plural, bourbon, singular.com. Yes, sir. But you can contact me on Instagram, too. And I mean, there you, go. you let me know when this is coming out, and I will uh, pimp this out on both of my Instagram channels to share cool. it. What's your, what's your Instagrammer page that the people should contact you on? It's literally BRD Bowman, B-O-W-M-A-N. Okay. It's literally my name without an A. Yeah, cool. I mean, that's, I, I kind of share everything from there in both places. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But that's more uh, he, hey, he, he ain't going to say this again. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been awesome, guys. I appreciate you having me. It's been Thank, a good you. Time. Thank you. Thank you. It, it is so good, man. So good. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.